Hello and welcome to the Sunny 16 podcast episode number... Um, no, I don't know what the episode number is, but it's definitely <laughs> the one after the last one. And if some alarm bells are ringing because you're not getting the soothing tones of Aid here, uh, I'm afraid uh, you have every reason to be worried. Regrettably, Aid's not very well this evening. Don't worry, he has not got the coronavirus. He's actually got the Corolla virus, which is where he's been made very, very travel sick by being driven around in a dodgy old Toyota for hour after hour. But he'll get over it. Um... Also this evening, no Rachel. Uh, Rachel is unfortunately super busy working on something uh, very cool, which I'm not allowed to talk about at the moment. And I know she'd thump me if I did, but something very cool, which will hopefully bear fruit in the very near future. So uh, it could just be me, but no, no, it's not just me because I have got a super special guest with me this evening. Um, So you are in for an Intimate evening with Graham and Dan as we welcome to the podcast Dan Bassini. Dan, welcome to the show. Hey, what's up? Ah, uh, I'm so glad you're here. Mostly because it would be very, very lonely if not. But um, you are somebody who I've been wanting to talk to for ages, especially after um your work got thoroughly uh, thrust into the limelight as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> after your well, it, it was it was a second place, but I can tell you. It was a very close to second place. You were not far off in the um, Sunnies in the Zine of the Year competition for your No Invite series, which yes, was absolutely that was super exciting. <laughs> uh, it was great. The the love for that project is clear and there. And um, of course, suddenly you see this name, you go, I-, I need to go and check this out, and saw your work, and it was instantly apparent why there's so much love for it. Um, you're based over in New York. Uh, you're working as a professional photographer out there. That's right, isn't it? Yes, I'm actually right outside of New York in uh, Jersey City. So I'm in New Jersey, um, but yeah, only about 15 minutes outside of the city via bus. <laughs> the, the, I, the glamorous lifestyle of the commuter. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> a real I just like I, I I'm I have a little pet peeve when sometimes when people who don't live in New York always like rep New York, and to me it's like, what's wrong with New Jersey? You know. Gotcha. Yeah, <laughs> you gotta no, be proud absolutely. of where you're from, you know. I, I understand that that's quite a New Jersey thing to be very proud of being in New Jersey and not New York. For my limited, <laughs> it's really all we have. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, uh, we are so bad at our geography here that um, Rachel and I, in particular, like, is Niagara Falls in New York? <laughs> we weren't entirely clear on this. So technically. We, yeah, technically in NY State. So, so we we have been educated now, so we're better. Um, We've got tons we want to talk about this evening. Obviously, we want to talk about um, No Invite, uh, which um, I, I the whole thing is just fascinating. I love it because it's a kind of photography that you're doing with that, which is unlike anything that we've spoken to anybody about um, in the past. So that's fantastic. Oh, that's exciting. Uh, cool. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's cool for me because I I love being introduced to, to new stuff and. Um, for the listeners who haven't yet seen your work, so um, Dan is on Instagram. It's just at Dan Bassini, isn't it? Yeah, nice and simple. Nice and simple. And you'll very quickly see that Dan's work is all, uh, well, the more recent stuff is very much based around um, the New York Fashion Week. So we'll get into that. Um, But before we get into that, uh, I would really love to just talk about how you came to be doing what you're doing, because you came up through the formal education system. And being a young man, you came up at a time when digital photography was becoming the norm. And yet... uh, in all of your work that you um at least your personal work and uh, mm-hmm. you've kind of gone completely the other way so how did you get to where you are now 
So I actually went to a photography school called Hall- the Hallmark Institute of Photography, and it was located in Western Massachusetts, and it was a very accelerated program. It was only a year program, but very intensive, and they were very focused on the commercial side of photography. For all so, the cards, right, that they make, I'm guessing. No. <laughs> well, no, Hallmark as in like the stamp of an artist, not, oh, not right. so much the card company. <laughs> But, uh, no, super honest misconception, (laughs) but basically they used to start everyone off. We all got Mamiya medium format cameras, uh, the AFD twos. So the more auto-focused Mamiya medium format systems, but they would give us a film back and they gave us a digital back. But this was the first year they used to give everyone... Uh, the film back to kind of get everyone in the first phase of the program on the same level to kind of, you know, reteach everyone exposure and, you know, the proper way to, you know, do the exposure triangle and handle all that stuff. And then my year happened to be the first year that they just gave everyone 5D Mark IIs and said, oh, well, it's probably easier for us to shut down our lab and just, you know, teach everyone on, on digital from the get-go. Mm. So, I they still gave us the film backs if we wanted to kind of experiment on our own, which is something I did, but it was the first year that film was just out of the equation entirely. So, everything I learned via film was all essentially self-taught. And so, I was in school, and I was kind of feeling bogged down or kind of, you know, losing that personalized feeling of taking a photo for myself, because I was, like, inundated with assignment work and shooting things I wasn't particularly interested in, like tabletop shots of silverware or your reflective metal or glassware. And then, you know, there were portraits and things like that, but it was just not quite feeling like why I got into photography. You know, there was like that human connection was, Mm. was not quite present for a lot of the assignments. And I had a lot of friends and this is not talking down about them at all, but they, we'd go on day trips into the city, into Boston, or the other areas, and they'd bring their full, you know, camera rig with their 5D and their camera bag and different lenses, and that was never me. Like, I hate, to this day, hate lugging around my digital camera kit, and it doesn't really leave the house these days unless I'm getting paid to take it out, and I just was kind of losing that feeling of, like, why I was there. So what I did was I was like, you know, I need to find a little camera that I can like, you know, carry around with me all the time, but it feels a little more special than just like snapping away endlessly, you know, to whatever size card is in your camera. So I found, uh, I think I got it on eBay, which was a risk from the beginning, but I got a little Canonet QL17. And that thing was my baby once I got it. You know, it's a 40 millimeter fixed lens. It's super sharp if you can uh, if you get a good copy, and it's it was just something I can throw over my shoulder, I can throw it in my pocket, and it became the camera that I kind of brought wherever I went, just like my friends were doing with their digital. But it was kind of it made me regain that feeling of you know shooting things for myself again, and it kind of became well, it actually became kind of a diary for me. So yeah, I, you 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 started this thing. So this was what ten years ago. Now you started the rangefinder diary. Uh, this would have been yeah. I think it was. I started around October two thousand nine. Was when I got the camera. 
So it was like a month into school. Yeah. Wow. So and this is this is very early. So you had because I mean we were talking before we started recording, and um, first off, c coming to photography to do this, this is actually sort of your second stint in higher education, wasn't it? Because you were saying I mean, you actually got a degree in was it radio engineering first? Uh, yeah, radio broadcasting. Radio it was an associate's degree, so a two year two year program, and that was kind of the thing that was funny was. It was one of those deals where I always was interested in music. Mm. A lot of my background is in music. I used to play in bands back in the day. I used to go to a lot of shows and concerts, uh, which played later on in my career as well. But it was kind of like, oh, well, what's a great way to kind of push your music taste on everybody else? Uh, <laughs> become a radio DJ. <laughs> and Do you not uh, think about getting a mobile disco? Mm -hmm. You know, that's not a bad idea. I should look into that. <laughs> I know pirate radio is big in the UK. Yeah, oh, I, should, absolutely. I should start pirate radio in, in the US. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, it was one of those deals where I was taking classes and the more I was learning about the radio industry, the more I really didn't like it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it's very political. You don't really, there's very few DJs anymore who actually like program their own shows and, you know, very few, you know, it's all programmed in a computer now. It's kind of, you know, there's no personal touches really yeah. too much. And it was one of those things like, wow, I really can't see myself in this field towards the end of my program. And I was like, well, I only have like a semester left to go. Let me just get the degree. So I have a degree. <laughs> and uh, it was around that time I started bringing my camera to concerts that I was at. Yeah. And I started really, I had a, I had a friend at the time who was really in the photography and we started kind of started up together. He, I got, you know, the same camera he had and we'd go out and, and shoot with that. And then since I was going to so many concerts, I, it was just natural for me to bring it to concerts with me. And it was one of those deals where, you know, why, why can't this be my career, you know? And that's kind of how that started. So I, I kind of I got my degree in radio, which has only become semi-useful in the last few months, funny enough, uh, when I started a podcast of my own. But... Uh, other than that, it's kind of laid dormant in terms of my, my skill set. But I started taking on my like tail end of community college, I started taking some photography courses, and then I got accepted into the photo school, and then that's where things kind of took off. Yeah. It must have been, I mean, given that most of your experience with photography and your enjoyment from it, and the thing that motivated you to then pursue that course was shooting at music gigs and doing all that kind of stuff. And mm -hmm. you, you got involved with some pretty cool stuff at that time. To then come to this um, uh, uh, hallmark um, place and uh, and the focus then being very much on commercial photography and all that kind of thing must have been mm -hmm. pretty jarring. Um, it was a little bit. I mean, again, <clears throat> coming from what I was learning in community college, like I think the highest uh, photography classes they had were like what would be considered advanced classes, which were just kind of one step above their basics photography class. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of just learning the, the basics of lighting and things like that. So it wasn't anything that would really, I didn't feel like just those courses alone would put me ready for the commercial world of, you know, charging people proper money for things. Uh, but the photography school Hallmark that I went to was very focused on that. And they actually taught a lot of business classes alongside of their actual, you know, photography classes which even today, uh, you know, is very useful. I've been, 
you know, doing my taxes and, and just arranging things and, and, you know, properly organizing my bills and, and being able to invoice and things like that. Like the business side of it was actually almost as valuable as the skill of photography side of it. Yeah, that tends to be quite often the place where the gap exists for people who are very passionate about the creative side and not always the people who are best able to function with the business and side. That, that's kind of also the bane of my existence and kind of the reason why I, I got out of music photography, which is something I pursued for a number of years after I graduated school, was just there's so many people out there who are willing to do it for free. Yeah. And that's still something I I battle with constantly in in all aspects of photography. But it's uh yeah it's always been a big issue of people like they don't know what to charge, or they feel weird or kind of meek about asking for money for things, and that kind of brings down the whole industry because then you have someone who's like you know doing it good enough more or less, and their their price is way lower than someone who's doing it very well, and it kind of builds this. I'm trying to think of the best way to put it, but it it builds this like expectation of like, well, this person's doing it good enough, and they're putting us way below budget, so yeah, let's just go with that, you know. So that's always kind of been an issue, Uh, and and yeah, the music world also like has very little money to spend. It's it's you'd think you could get you know four or five people in a band to each scrounge together like a hundred (laughs) dollars, and that's not usually the case. No, that that doesn't entirely surprise me. Anyway, so I completely derailed you. So we got, we got to the point where you started um, the Rangefinder Diaries, your, your blog. Yes. So what was the idea behind that? So, yeah, I started the Rangefinder Diaries as like a, more or less just a place to put the photos that I was taking. But the original idea was I'm going to shoot, uh, you know, like post one photo per day. And that would kind of be about a roll per month, which is not a huge undertaking, but it was still at the time with everything else going on, it, there would still be days I'd have to kind of kick my ass out of the house to go shoot somewhere or go somewhere new and to finish the roll before it was too late. And it became this like great rediscovery of, of, you know, like bringing my camera out to places or parties or with friends or on a bike ride or, you know, and I'd kind of have to put myself in interesting positions in order to create new photos. So it became this great experiment that honestly, I would say a number of years ago, I would have considered it the reason I'm still a photographer Mm -hmm. just because it's been this like long running project. That's kind of kept my head in the game and, and also kept me, you know, in that realm of doing things for myself again without really any expectation of, anything else out of it you know because when sorry um what you know you've been working as a professional photographer since you graduated um what exactly is your professional work entailing generally what kind of stuff are you doing so my professional work uh is mostly in the event photography world so currently i mean i've been working with another local photographer for I think six months out of me graduating school. So like about nine years now. Uh, and we do a lot of weddings and events and things like that. So I've been working with him for a long time. I actually have an event with him this Friday. So we're still, we're still working. So I do a lot of weddings, events. Uh, now that I'm living up in the New York City area, I do a lot of work with um, some art galleries and things like that. And I'm shooting their openings and their, their different events and, and talks. I have a couple other clients that are very good to me and 
you know, I'm, I'm the lead photographer for this uh, indie music conference that happens in New York called uh, Indie Week. And I've kind of taken the reins on doing all their photo work awesome. and their award shows and things like that. Uh, honestly, if you want to be a professional photographer these days, it's very hard to be specialized. Yeah. Uh, it, it's very hard to make a living doing just one kind of thing. Uh, unless your reputation really precedes you and or you really fall into some great situation. But the truth is, for most working photographers, you're kind of doing a little bit of everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so th- the uh, the Rangefinder Diaries was kind of your... Um, escape sounds like too strong a word, but it was the outlet where you could really just go and do what you wanted to keep your creative side inspired when maybe the day job was not fulfilling that part of your brain's needs. Yeah, no, that that's exactly right. It's uh, It was a great way to just go out and shoot some landscapes or, you know, and again, not even put too much thought in it. It was just, it just became this thing that was with me wherever I was going. So looking back on it now, uh, I had mentioned before we started recording that it's, it turned 10 years old in November. So that's a new photo every day for 10 years. That is, that is amazing. I couldn't imagine 10 days. <laughs> 10 years. So, but yeah, I mean, being an event photographer is not necessarily the most artistic, fulfilling, you know, area of, of the photography world. It's very much documentary, you know, it's very much, you know, uh, funny enough, shooting music actually prepped me a lot for the event photography world. Yeah. Because shooting concerts, you know, it's it's a lot of moment anticipation, capturing moments, recreating that, you know, kind of emotion uh, of, of like the moment. But it's also a lot of uh, dealing with very crappy lighting and and not great venues. And, and that translates to the wedding world <laughs> pretty, pretty, uh, the Venn diagram overlaps a yeah. lot. Yeah. Which is which is hilarious. I would have never thought that those skills would overlap like that, but they do. But yeah, the the Rangefinder Diaries uh, blog. Uh, I'm a little worried because it exists on Tumblr. Oh, it started back when Tumblr was a very, uh, you know, that was the medium of the moment, and now it's it's kind of on its way out, and I'm a little bit afraid of uh, it just vanishing one day. <laughs> But I think there is a way to export all your data, and hopefully uh, one day I'll make the move to like WordPress or something a little more controllable. But that does I was seem like retire a... it. Yeah. I, I was going to retire it back at the ten year mark. I was like, let me do like a photo show to commemorate it, and then it's not necessarily an exercise I need any longer. And then when that kind of came and went, I kind of thought, well, let me just keep it going. Like, what's it hurting <laughs> to keep it going? And and now a lot of like the stuff on Instagram is mostly pivoted to my fashion work. Yeah. So I don't really have a place to post my non-fashion stuff, my day-to-day stuff, my vacation photos, things like that. So I've I've just been keeping it going. Yeah. Yeah, and I would imagine after 10 years of doing it, it's it must be a habit at this point, you know, it's just like this is just part of what I do. This is it's there <laughs> yeah. and yeah, I, I do think that getting it off Tumblr might be a, a good plan, perhaps sooner rather than later, because <laughs> it's, it's the thing of the moment that was uh, 10 years ago. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm intrigued. Your little Canon Canonette, um, did you stick with that throughout the 10 years, or has there been some, um, uh, what's the word I'm grasping for, infidelity <laughs> over the years? 
Uh, no. I mean, it was definitely the jumping off point. I still, unfortunately, the original camera that I used for it no longer works. Uh, I have a replacement. I've had a couple of replacements of it. But I have, you know, it's kind of more or less just become film focused more so than even just rangefinder focused. Yeah. But I've kind of gone through them all. I mean, for the longest time, uh, the Leica M6 was my dream camera. And then I bought a, a Leica M6, luckily before the, the huge price jump. Mm. But, uh, and I had that for years. And then I kind of moved on to, I'd gotten a Contax G2. And then that fit my shooting style a lot better. And then the Leica ended up kind of sitting on the shelf for a while. And then I would, you know, ah, let me roll, like, run one roll through the Leica again before I sell it. And then I'll, like, fall back in love with it again. And that happened, like, for three years straight yeah. of me, like, planning to sell it. And then just that that amazing feeling of, like, cocking the shutter and advancing the film is, like, the most satisfying thing on the planet. Mm-hmm. And then I would shoot a roll and be like, oh, this is great. And then sit back on the shelf because uh, a lot of my stuff is, is happens very quickly. It's very, you know, spur of the moment. So having the autofocus and things like that is very crucial, uh, more so than zone focusing on the Leica. Yeah. So I just, you know, unfortunately I, I got rid of it uh, a number of years back, but uh, yeah, the, the range trainer diary stuff has kind of evolved into just my film work in general. But yeah, it definitely started out with a, uh, the little Canonette struggling to see that tiny yellowish rangefinder patch to get focus. It, it forced you to slow down. Yeah, I, I, as when you mentioned this to me earlier, I still that's a really bizarre coincidence because the the one and the only I mean, there's there's quite a lot of cameras kicking around in this room, but the only one mm-hmm. sat on my very small desk just happens to be that exact <laughs> camera. I just look and thinking, yeah, that is quite a small patch of pale yellow. Yeah, and it, it's it's not very contrasty at all, but uh, it. It was great. I mean, when you when you hit focus on that camera, it was sharp. And I don't know how often you shot with yours, but even the flash that came with it, the little Canolite flash, is it was like a very rudimentary TTL system, but it worked great. And I actually used that flash on my Nimslow, and it, it's fantastic. That's awesome. No, I have to admit, uh, my, my Canon, the reason it sat on my desk is because I've owned it for... Um... <laughs> more years than I want to count them probably four or five years um, <laughs> uh, and it, when I bought it the light seals were just like toffee um, they oh, were just gummed no, up and horrible that is a, a very a pretty normal characteristic for those cameras uh, <laughs> and that was kind of what was fun about using it was that it kind of every roll looked a little different coming out of it <laughs> and and on top of that you can't really get the right batteries for it because they originally took lead batteries yeah so what did you and do with that i honestly just put an alkaline battery in it <laughs> <laughs> good enough it, it i think i'm trying to think i think it makes everything a little bit like in terms of the meter it makes it a little more overexposed okay. i think i'm trying to remember how exactly it affects the meter that you could like slightly adjust for it. Um, I think I would just, you know, move the ASA like a third of a stop or something. So if it was if I was shooting two hundred speed, I'd shoot it at like one sixty instead, mm-hmm. and it kind of balanced it out. Um, but yeah, at the time too, I was so like reckless with film. Like I didn't really understand the world of film or or what different things would 
because, and it was a great learning experience kind of coming into it so blank that I kind of was able to make my own mistakes and really learn more or less the hard way. But, you know, I was shooting at the time, there was a great lab in the area that black and white, color negative, and um, slide film were all the same price to get processed. Mm -hmm. So I would, you know, shoot Provia 100F or I would shoot Provia 400X, which I miss dearly. Um, and I would shoot it just like normal color negative snapshot film, you know? And now looking back on that, I'm like, wow, that's, that's bonkers because, <laughs> uh, using a camera with no light seal and, uh, a really wonky light meter and I'm shooting what I now understand to have such a very thin latitude of, of, you know, exposure I'm like, wow, how did I get anything to come out? And yeah. everything looked pretty good. Like, I shot a ton of slide film back then. And uh, it, none of it was really a disaster. Like, it should have been. Yeah. I think it goes to show, doesn't it, that quite frequently we can... The, the more knowledge you have isn't necessarily always a benefit to you. you. You end up talking yourself out of doing certain things, which if you just went ahead and did them anyway, it'd probably be fine. Oh, yeah. And, and that's... I think it was a valuable lesson for that, too. And now, like, you know, the one thing I always recommend to new film shooters out there is, you know, shoot with as much film stock as you can. Like, you know, find a camera that you love and then just shoot everything you can get your hands on. And then eventually you kind of build a mental database of, okay, if I take this camera and I take this film, it's going to look like this. Mm -hmm. And that's what's so great. Like, I'm a real a big hater of, like, the presets and, you know, everyone's selling presets online and no one is actually learning for themselves how to create their own style or create their own, you know, process because they're just copying what someone else is doing. Yeah. And that's the thing with film is you kind of your process or your presets, uh, as much as I hate saying that, is like, oh, I want to shoot this camera with Portra 400 and I know it's going to have this quality to it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. You say that because it's one of the most notable things about your no invite series is that they have, I mean, and there's what are you up to volume number seven now? Is it? Uh, yeah. So I actually just wrapped, uh, New York fashion week a few weeks ago, just recently got everything back from the lab and now I'm currently, working on making volume seven yes well, yeah so and so obviously a, a large body of work there but throughout it a very consistent look to it clearly based upon your choice of film and camera um so let's talk about no invite because like i said mm. this is the thing which um you, your instagram feed is full of it's clearly from your personal side from your personal work this is your main focus at the moment, or at least the thing that you're putting out there into the world. Um, yeah. For the benefit of people who have not yet gone and investigated it, what what is the premise behind it? So uh, going back kind of all the way, when I was growing up in central New Jersey, uh, about an hour, hour and a half from the city, there used to be kind of like a, a local kind of culture. It was like one step above public access television. But it was focused very much on New York culture and they would have, you know, one of the Ramones eating pizza on St. Mark's Place and, you know, like real silly culture. stuff. <laughs> yeah. But uh, they would always every year kind of, um, you know, they would broadcast Fashion Week. 
And when I was young, it was just something that always kind of interested me. Like, it was just something that was on. And for some reason, it captured my, you know, attention. And I really kind of started to, oh, these different designers all have their own creative voice. And, and everything is kind of being able to, you know, create something very similar as a dress or a shirt. And then interpret it, like, you know, a thousand different ways. Was It's very creative. It's cool. Mm. And it's also not a realm that I really have any personal connection to in terms of, you know, I don't make clothes. I, I'm not necessarily very stylish. I kind of wear the same, like, four things in different, uh, you know, uh, combinations every day. And it was just something that stuck with me. And so then when I eventually moved up to this area four years ago, I was like, well, oh, like, Fashion Week's a thing. I can just kind of search in the city <laughs> And it, oh my god, it was so embarrassing. The first uh, first season I came here, so I just moved. Fashion Week was like two weeks later. I'm like, let me get out of the house. Let me uh, let me go see what's going on in this Fashion Week because I'd always assumed it was just all over the city, you know. And it was yeah. just something that you like you walk through. And I tried to like I was walking around like Soho area, like literally asking people like, "Where's Fashion Week?" <laughs> like a true idiot. And it was uh, it was brutally cold. I remember just like not having a good time and, and just like being like, I, I found an address of where things were happening and I ended up going around the other side of the building to the back door essentially. Yeah. And if and it was so cold and I was so fed up at that point. I'm just like, oh, I'm just gonna go home. And now like if I knew I w- if I had walked just halfway around the block, I would have like found the kind of central hub of fashion week. But instead I went home and just kind of forgot about it for another couple months. But so where things really kind of kicked off was the following season. It was September. Weather was a lot better. I was uh, coming out of the Whitney museum after a day I was, I was hanging out with a friend and right around the block was a place called milk studios and they were having a fashion party. Uh, And, it was kind of a funky pop-up kind of thing. They had a free drinks and I kind of just walked right in, uh, which is kind of a, a precursor to what I kind of do now. But it was just a party full of like interesting young people all dressed very, you know, funky and very, you know, uh, interesting. And I was like, you know, everyone here is kind of looking to be seen that barrier of fear of asking a stranger to take their portrait was was very low yeah so i kind of used it as an opportunity to you know get this collection of portraits of these people and i didn't really know what to do with it from there i kind of sat on them like i know there's something bigger to this than uh you know just posting them online immediately and i kind of sat on the images for a while until the next season came up and that was when Kanye West was showing his Yeezy season five. And I was like, oh, like I found out where it was happening and I just showed up to where it was and kind of skulked around a little bit. And there wasn't too much going on. You know, security was super tight. And then after the show let out, all these people came out and it was all these like bigger rappers. There was a lot of like top models at the time. Uh, and, and then I got like what would be considered street style photos of these people. So it was like a mixture between the portraits I shot the the previous season mixed with the street style stuff I shot the following February. 
And I, I was always someone who loved making zines. I, you know, came up touring with bands and I would like make a zine from the previous tour to sell on the next one. And that became, you know, I, I hadn't put a book out in a while. And I, I really love the feeling of like physical media. You know, I love the feeling of like holding something in your hands and being able to flip through a full idea. And I feel like with Instagram, and it's only gotten worse, is just that feeling of like disposable content of flipping through an Instagram feed and, you know, spending, you know, a quarter of a second on an image, you kind of lose the meaning sometimes. Yeah. So I was like, yeah. you know, I have, I have this previous, you know, series and I have these new photos. They kind of go together. So let me, let me put out a book. Like, let me just like make a zine. And I had, um, Previously, right before I'd moved to the area, I actually went on a road trip with a friend where she was relocating from uh, the East Coast to the West Coast, essentially. And I drove with her across country and did all these photos, mostly on film, and put out like a book. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to do it right. I'm going to do, you know, nice heavy duty paper. I'm going to have it printed locally. It's going to be perfect bound. And then I got the books and I like wasn't really happy with them. Like the spine was really fragile and it was very... It was a ton of money, and then I was like, you know, how do catalog companies make their work, like, so cheap, you know, so affordable, and, uh, you know, color correct, <laughs> and I started looking up, instead of book printers, I looked up catalog printers, and that's kind of how the zine came to be. Okay, that's an, that's an approach I've not heard before, but it makes perfect sense. I mean, as you said, there's lots of companies, and they're not necessarily huge companies, making catalogs for stuff. Um, okay, yeah, I mean, it, it was just a great way. Same deal, you know, it, it's saddle-stapled, so they're a lot more rugged. People tend to get a photo book and want to press it flat, you know? Yeah. And with a perfect, perfect bound spine, it tends to pop the spine, and then it's kind of, the book is done, you know? Yeah. So I spent all this money on a book that I didn't feel really comfortable selling to people. So, yeah, by getting a catalog, it felt like it's a, just kind of in between what would be considered a zine and what would be considered, you know, a proper book. So, but yeah, it was, uh, it became this kind of cool project that when I went to then shoot volume two, I was a lot more prepared for because I was like, okay, now I'm shooting for another book. I want to do this again. Let me you know, be more intentional with my photos. You know, vertical shots are for pages. Horizontal shots are for spreads. And then trying to balance things between getting detail shots along with the headshot stuff. And it's very interesting, um, you know, now running through like a mental list in my head while I'm taking these things is, uh, it, it's become, it's become, I mean, it's a ton of fun. It's, it, it became this project that, pushed myself in a direction I would have not really thought about going in mm -hmm. unless I fell into it, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm really intrigued because I can certainly see uh, this sort of the first time you go there um, and you're suddenly presented with this kind of open buffet of, oh, here are people who want to have their picture taken. This is fabulous. I know, um, I think it was last year, I think it was last year, that Rachel went on a photo walk in London and there happened to be um, something going on you know, in a similar vein to that at the time and there were some models there and, and it's like, oh, great, yeah, well, let's get some pictures here because these are people mm -hmm. who want to have their picture taken um and then the second time going there and doing the more 
street photography style thing because of the way the movement was happening but when you come to the point where you're shooting with more intentionality not just in terms of oh yes this is what i want to get this is the kind of picture i want to get but also with the vision in your head of what you're working towards um what is it that you're looking for when you're there what what is the feeling you're trying to convey to the people who get your book is there a, a particular thing because it certainly feels like it when i look at the pictures what what are you trying to capture about fashion week and and pass that on to the people who look at your zines so funny enough actually before i was gonna go to photography school i actually thought about going to get a degree in like psychology or like become a therapist, like that realm of the world. Mm -hmm. And if it didn't come down to needing so much schooling, I may have pursued it. Uh, But I've always been interested in like the psychological factors of like what makes someone themselves or uh, you know, what, what makes someone tick. So a lot of my photos are different than what most people are getting during fashion week because I'm really focused on, headshots, as I'm sure you've kind of noticed with Mm -hmm. my work. So it's more or less about the clothing. It's less about the clothing and more about the people. So, and a lot of the shots are very, you know, eye contact focused on, on kind of who is this person as, as a person and the clothing kind of comes secondary to that. So it, it, you know, when I'm out shooting, I'm looking for interesting people, striking people, uh, you know, the outfit definitely plays a part, but it's a secondary characteristic of who they are. And, you know, there's there's some other things, you know, like people kind of focus on the celebrity aspect. And I've gotten very lucky with some celebrity shots and things like that. But there's so many celebrity stuff that doesn't make it into the book because the people are not interesting outside of the fact that they're who they are. Yeah. You know, like I had photos from a previous season of like Justin Bieber. And, I mean, they did great on Instagram, but they didn't make it in the book because he's just wearing, like, a purple hat and a t-shirt, you know? Yeah. (laughs) So, for me, that's not necessarily anything that I find striking or or it doesn't really pique my interest outside of, oh, it's Justin Bieber, you know? And it's, it's become a very, it's a little hard to explain, but it's become something that I've kind of really locked in on and am able to you know, really hone in when shooting these new books. And, uh, but the main thing I'm trying to convey is also the feeling of the week. Like I'm trying to tell a loose story of the week itself. Uh, a great example of that was a year ago during February fashion week. It was miserable cold. It was 10 days long. They crammed men's fashion week right into women's. And then on top of that, I think across those 10 days, it was, seven hours of sunlight the entire time like truly terrible conditions it was raining it was snowing it was uh you know hailing for a bit and then you know there's us being idiots standing out in the cold for eight hours ten hours per day so i got a lot of photos of how the fashion kind of interacted with the terrible conditions Mm. you know like i have a photo like one of the spreads in the the book is this was volume four four i believe and uh one of the spreads was uh like a snowblower (laughs) you know (laughs) just blowing snow across the street and uh, there's another great one that was it's a woman wearing like open-toed high heel sandals just like 
like trudging through slush and that really kind of conveyed the feeling of the weekend so it's like it's kind of a waist down shot of her clutching her like purse and then she has these like very probably expensive open toe sandal shoes and then walking through four inches of like wet sludge (laughs) so it's a mixture between you know just high fashion and just like terrible conditions yeah. So the, just trying to convey how cold it was and how, you know, it wasn't very, gl- it, the mixture of the glamorous with the elements. Yeah. Cause I mean, the, the thing about, the, you know, obviously you're, the people that you're taking pictures of, you know, you're taking pictures of a lot of beautiful people, you know, glamorous people. Um, and whilst certainly, you know, there are, there are beautiful pictures and lovely portraits, but they're not all, it, it doesn't feel like you're trying to capture beauty necessarily it feels like you're trying to capture the energy of what's going on there um and that really comes through you know there's uh, a lot of them are very candid something you know, well there's a mixture isn't there a mixture of sort of more posed ones and and some very candid shots um and it, and it really does give uh just a feeling of the chaos and the vibrance going on around this whole affair um it's it's quite spectacular um what is it, because I feel like, uh, whilst we don't talk a lot about equipment on here, I feel like the, the equipment that you're using for this does play a big part in both the way that you operate and the look that you're getting from this. So what are you actually using to shoot all of this stuff? So, yeah, the equipment is actually, uh, it, it it's almost a, a detriment to my life. <laughs> because, <laughs> uh, here, here's my biggest point of, uh, of advice. I could maybe possibly give is don't base a, a long-term major project on 25 year old pieces of plastic <laughs> because it's only going to end in heartbreak. <laughs> Cannot stress that enough. Um, so with that said, most of what I use is the Yashica T4. Uh-huh. That's kind of been my go-to. I clown that camera for a long time until I had the opportunity to buy one. And <laughs> now, unfortunately I'm hooked. Uh, but honestly, it it kind of is, for me personally, like when people ask me if they should get one, I can only tell them that it, it does what I need it to do, which is fairly specific. You know, yeah. I, I need a camera that is sharp. I need a camera that can focus closely. And I need a camera that can like balance its flash closely. Because mm-hmm. a lot of my work, you know, those headshots at a 35 millimeter focal range is, you know, I'm standing two three feet away from these people and you know sometimes getting close-up stuff the the shika t4 can focus to a foot away which is pretty rare when it comes to like film point and shoots so it's it's my it's a very specific niche i need and uh like i said it it kind of ends in heartbreak because i think so far i've killed four of them oh geez it sounds like expensive just, heartbreak as well shooting fashion week yeah i this fingers crossed knock on wood uh was the first season i think in 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 four years or not four years four seasons that i didn't break a camera or or not necessarily break a camera but had a camera die on me yeah which is even worse than like i can't even blame myself you know <laughs> so the last i remember uh when I was shooting volume three, I had just picked up a very like gorgeous, great condition T5. And I bought it off an older gentleman who had one that he probably bought it, you know, in the 90s. 
and it was great condition. I was super excited. I shot two rolls with it and it was beautiful. And then I started getting film back from fashion week. Like I was six rolls deep. I think by the time I started getting stuff back from the lab and it had a light leak all over the place, like totally unexplained. I tried taping it up and it didn't fix it. Like I have no idea where the lights coming in <laughs> outside of like taping the entire camera besides the lens. Uh, so like totally unexpected, you know, and now all of a sudden I had almost seven rolls, I think that were just all light leak. Uh, they were salvageable and a lot of people were like, Oh, well we like it. It looks good. It's cool. But that's not what I was going for. No. And I hate like surprises like that. Like yeah. luckily it didn't obscure the images too much that made them, you know, it wasn't crossing eye lines or anything like that. It was mainly relegated to the, the top section in the, in the corners, but yeah, I think I'm looking at some of those now. Actually, um, on your on your website, uh, so anybody okay. can go to dampcini.com, and um, yeah, I think as you said, it's in the top left hand corner, and certainly yeah. in the images that you shared on here, it's not spoiling them; it's just there. Um, but but it was I can see why that would be upsetting, you know. So that that was frustrating, and then the season after that. My so like one of my prized cameras was I had a I still have it but the 60th anniversary gold contacts T2 and that was a camera I bought essentially like new old stock I don't think it had been used previously it still like in the mahogany mahogany display box with all the accessories wrapped in plastic and I bought that a long a while ago a long time ago before the boom for four hundred dollars oh boy. And that was my baby. That was, I love that camera. That's the one I took on the road trip and got these like amazing photos with. And that was my go-to for the longest time. And I used it. Like it's, it's worn. The finish is like worn. It was beautiful. And fashion week took that away from me. Oh no. Uh, <laughs> oh my God. The season, the season after that was probably the most heartbreaking because I had, um, the camera still functioned fine, but what had happened was at some point, the focal plane had shifted on it. So I think I had like seven rolls towards the end of the week where the eye was out of focus, but the ear was tack sharp. So everything like shifted like four inches. And of course for me, it only affected me because I'm taking such close-ups. for anyone else shooting like six to 10 feet away. It probably wouldn't be noticeable, you know? So that was another heartbreak because the camera didn't actually die on me. It just made it useless to me specifically. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, and to be honest, it sounds like it, four inches. That's that's enough to, to be frustrating. So, well, but, like yeah. I said, the eye would be just out of focus enough to like me not feel comfortable printing it. Yeah. And then the ear would be tack sharp. And I, I shot a whole roll afterwards of just like friends. And... Uh, there's actually there's actually um, an Instagram highlight dedicated to it because I shot a whole roll of just like tests of like intentional portraits testing that it wasn't me just being a bad photographer mm-hmm. and in fact yeah everything is this the focus has shifted just slightly so uh, and then yeah I replaced that camera and then the next season it died on me day one. <laughs> The motherboard fried. Oh boy, it, I yeah. mean, it, 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 it's really interesting though because I mean, there's so much talk about these cameras and the reliability issues with them, and I think what you're discussing shows that if there's one thing we can say for certain is that whether you've got a good one or a slightly iffy one, none of them are really up to the job of 
actual working photography work. Like if you if you need to rely on them, doesn't seem like you can. Yeah, I mean, it's. I'm very fortunate because the one I have now, I shot the last two seasons with almost exclusively, and it's so sharp that, um, uh, it like I have some 100% crops, and it literally, um. I think it's like as sharp as my digital like Canon. It's it's pretty impressive. That sounds pretty cool. So so remind me again, what is it that you're using now after you've broken all of those other ones? <laughs> well, I still have I still have two Yashica T fours. And those are, and those are the ones that you, it's like the the they are the ones that survived the Thunderdome of. Oh, I just like, keep I just keep replacing them. Uh, <laughs> I'll, like, anytime I'll find one that shows up for like under three hundred and fifty dollars. I'll pull the trigger on it. So how much do you reckon you spent on these cameras oh, so far? <laughs> Actually, oh, no. a better question. Better question. Um, if you hadn't broken them, what value do you think all the cameras that you've trashed are? Well, that's <laughs> the thing. I don't I don't really sell much. Because <laughs> like, it's all broken, Dan. You've trashed Well, that, it. that doesn't help. You're, I mean, <laughs> I, I can't sell them because I can't. Yeah. But, I, I mean, I use my cameras, so anything that I don't use fairly regularly gets tossed. How's that Leica? Uh, what was that? That's that Leica of yours, that M6, that been tossed? <laughs> no, still uh, seen it. Yeah, no, that, uh, the, the M6 is gone. I actually oh, really? I sold that a number of years ago. I actually traded it for, well, cash, plus I got the Konica Hexar AF. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was another camera I, everyone talked about, uh, and it was just, uh, it just never felt right to me. It, mm. it felt, especially compared to me having the Contax G2, which I think is one of the best cameras ever made, uh, it didn't feel quite like the quality level of that. So it's, again, just kind of, I recently just sold that as well. But now, like I said, my work is so specific that I know exactly what I'm looking for. I've tried almost all of the pro compact cameras out there. Yeah. And I've more or less just focused on collecting what I use. And then it gets used, you know, and that's why they break. Yeah. They're not they're not shelf shelf queens, you know. And now I just kind of have a, a drawer of that's essentially a graveyard. Because <laughs> I think I've I've burned through uh, a G2. I now have yeah four broken T4s, my gold contacts T2, I think two Olympus uh, MJU2s. Uh, it's it's sad. <laughs> so, somewhere out there, there are probably people who are actually crying at this point. Um, so, <laughs> but again, like I said, they they're getting used. Like they're they're breaking because I'm putting them to work, and they're you know I I definitely hold a little more emotion to my film gear than my digital gear. But they're still tools, you know, and and it's more or less I found the right tool for what the job I need. Yeah, and I oh, go on. No, but doesn't that worry you though? I mean, the fact that, as you said, you found the right tool for what you need, but at the same time, you know that this is a tool that's no longer made, and unfortunately, as hammers go, this one's made out of glass, so it tends to break. Like, does that worry you, or are you just like, well, once the sun shines, I'll make the most of it when they're all gone, or have just become ridiculously <laughs> well, priced? I mean, maybe all the reason these things are getting ridiculously priced, you just get them all and trashing them. Well, the the problem too is people reach out to me all the time who are like very fresh in the photography world, and they'll be like, 
oh, I just bought a Yashica T4. How do I focus it? And I'm like, what? <laughs> you just dropped like four plus hundred dollars on, on a camera and you're asking me like the simplest questions. Not to be like rude. I try to be mm-hmm. very, you know, helpful with people who reach out for help. But sometimes it's just like, I know how much you spent on this camera and you probably spent even more because you don't know necessarily what you're looking for. And you're asking me like how to get film developed. It's like everyone, like I always recommend like get a, get a little Olympus stylus zoom there. You can get them for a 30 to $50 and just have fun with that. And then learn the ropes. And then once you realize it's something that you like and you want to continue, then step up to something more expensive, something a little more specialized. Yeah. But I mean, that's not to say, I mean, I also don't exclusively use the Yashica T4. Yeah. Um, you know, I've also used, I actually really love, I've had the Olympus Stylus Epics or the MJU2s. I've had four of them, I think, and I've never paid more than $10 a piece. They've yeah. always been thrift store finds. Granted, I haven't found one at a thrift store in probably four years. <laughs> so yeah, they're, the they're not necessarily it? something you stumble upon very often anymore. But at the time, like that was a camera I kept like in my car, like in the hot sun. Because it was just small and compact before everyone like really freaked out over them. But I actually really love the MJU-1, the regular 35.35 version. And it's a little slower. I think it can only shoot up to like a 500th of a second. But it still focuses closely. It's actually a good, cheap alternative to the T4. Yeah. So you're not worried then about running out of cameras um because i, mean, I like, try not it... to think about it yeah that seems like <laughs> I try a good to, idea i try to stock up on what i can without going broke uh like i said like at the moment i have two functioning t4s at the moment i need to look into getting my t5 light sealed again and then that one should work fine but i have yeah two of those and i have two functioning uh mju ones and uh and one mju2 that still works and those are kind of like my corral of like what will get my job done if i need it yeah yeah you're good for a few more years hopefully anyway (laughs) hopefully i mean uh like i said uh fingers crossed this like i said this is the first time in a long time i didn't have to replace anything yeah which uh is a blessing (laughs) so what about film stocks then? Because like I said, I mentioned right at the beginning of talking about this that you have a very consistent look throughout. Has there been just mm-hmm. one film stock you've used throughout or have you mucked around with different stuff? So for the the no-invite work, I've I started out mostly shooting Portra 400. That's kind of my go-to. That's kind of been my like old reliable. And um, it's... It's just something I can trust. I know I can shoot it, and I know it'll be flexible enough for pretty much any situation. Um, but lately, I've been experimenting a lot more with uh, Lomography CN400. Mm-hmm. Their general color negative 400 speed. And honestly, I love it. Um, if you notice, some of the photos in this in the stuff that I've been posting is a little more saturated that's the color negative 400 and it kind of makes me like portra less i've i've been shooting a lot of the lomo stuff lately and i'm yeah. very fortunate because lomography they're they're good friends of mine and they're very good to me um so they actually hosted one of my first solo shows in new york back when they had their uh 
their New York City uh, Manhattan space. And uh, so they, they've always been great. But their film, the, once I learned how to shoot it properly, so the best results I've gotten out of the Loma 400 is it needs a lot of light. Mm-hmm. So, it, it, and just like a lot of affordable films, like if you have, you don't have a lot of light, it kind of gets that muddy kind of look in the shadows. So I've been shooting everything with fill flash the last couple seasons. Yeah. And it just brings this quality to that film that I think I really love. And it's kind of been the new look and very kind of saturated colors, but the skin tones are accurate. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, and I I haven't shot the four hundred, but um, the the eight hundred, which I've shot, I, I I would say similar kind of experience. What you're saying, lovely, really saturated colors, um, and again does well, especially when fed plenty of light. It's which is ironic for an eight hundred speed film, but um, yeah, it, it. I mean, your pictures look fantastic, and uh, I'm I'm looking talking about the color pop now. Um, I'm looking at one of your more recent ones of a gentleman in some fairly spectacular sunglasses and, and just this amazing red um, suit jacket and hat. Oh yeah, against the grey background, and that yeah. just it just it just pops like nobody's business. Yeah, it because it, uh, it definitely yeah it pulls red very nicely. It pulls blue very nicely. And then uh, also you'll notice in that photo is the specular highlight. Yeah. With the um, with the Yashica, it just gets it. When you get like a reflection like that from the flash, it's almost like having a star filter on there. It's pretty pretty wild. <laughs> and it, it's like a perfect star specular highlight that people would like add in Photoshop later. You know? Yeah. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah, that's great. That's really cool, and it's it, well, it's interesting to hear that as well because, as you said, you know, it's film choices, and the the, the four hundred is not an expensive film. Certainly, you know, not compared to buying professional Kodak films, it is a mm. a more affordable option, which is you know, it's important. So, I mean, you must have like over the um, so how many years is it now? You're on, coming up to volume seven. So, is is it? Uh, what year did you start? Because I don't know how these seasons work with this. So technically, the first book was a combination of what would be considered the 2017 fashion cycle, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so what happens in September is considered spring, summer, the following year. So technically, the first book was it was a combination of two seasons. So that was 2017. And then I shot, that was book one. And then, yeah, so I think this was technically my eighth season. So about almost four years. Yeah. So, I mean, like the whole starting premise around this and, and the uh, behind the title itself, the idea that you know, you're going to these places and you're getting these shots, despite the fact that you've really got no reason to be there. You know, you well, not no reason, but that's not quite, you, um, you've got no passes you're not official you're just there kind of as i said on um, back of paper uh, it's guerrilla fashion photography um but yeah. then rachel did point out that that sounds like it's fashion photography for gorillas which is definitely not <laughs> these are these are human beings we're looking at here um has has that changed at all over because you your face must be becoming familiar to people at this point you know you're, you're on your sixth season of doing this and um you know are you finding that you're starting to make contacts? Is it changing the way that you're approaching it? And um, 
are you worried that it could change it would you would you like to get to the point where it is the invited series like oh actually now i can get in because i've been doing this people have seen my work um you know how how is this kind of long-term project how is it changing because of that so it it definitely is changing a bit from how it originated i mean a lot of times it started with you know doing stuff even as much as uh you know Google, like searching hashtags on Instagram, f- looking for someone to post, you know, their invite on the page to find the address of where these things are happening, and uh, you know things like that. To now, you know, like searching Instagram stories for geolocation tags and things like that. Like it's it's kind of gotten a bit easier than it was when I first started out. Especially like when I first started, I there wasn't very few people shooting film at all. It's kind of become a little more of a spectator sport lately. Um, so it, it's kind of hard sometimes when there's a lot of uh, tourists or fans that kind of get in the way or don't understand the, the etiquette quite as much. Yeah. It, it's particularly hard for me because so many people are shooting, you know, with longer lenses and things like that. And then I'm getting a very specific close up. So it's, it, it's kind of like a dance of how to, you know, get in and get my shot without interrupting everyone else also trying to get their shot. So I try. I really try to be mindful of that and and get what I need and then get out. But um, in terms of, I mean, there's been some great sneaking ins that happen because so much of my stuff, I have been getting some invites and stuff here and there. Mainly, I'll just sign up for everything that comes my way mm-hmm. because then I'll end up on the mailing list for next time. And you know, a lot of times they'll stick me in a media riser or something like that, and shooting with my camera that is going to get me nothing. You know, it's not going to be anything that's going to be useful for me to put in the book. So if I do, a lot of times I'll give my passes away to other friends who it would benefit them more. So I, I redistribute my wealth of, of, <laughs> of uh, invites when I do get them. Sometimes, uh, especially like in the February seasons, it's like, oh, it's nice to sit down and warm up for a bit. And then, you know, like this past season, I had a show uh, first thing in, it was the end of men's fashion week. And, you know, I went in and then I just kind of walked backstage and <laughs> end up getting some really cool stuff backstage. So I still try to use it to my advantage of like, okay, I'm in, let me see how much further I can go. And uh, so an actual like, great story that happened this last season that kind of really felt like the spirit of no invite again was there was a party for... Net-a-Porte and Netflix for their new show, Next in Fashion. It's kind of like their version of, like, Project Runway. Mm-hmm. And I noticed on a schedule... So, like, when I said it gets easier now, there's, like, a group of friends that I have now that all do, uh, you know, similar stuff. We all shoot different things, but we all kind of run in a pack. And we share the locations via, like, a big group chat, which is super helpful. So, on one of the schedules, someone had had screenshot and sent out there was a party and it was kind of in between shows i wanted to check out and it was kind of in the neighborhood i wanted to be for the next show i'm like let me let me see what's happening at this party so i end up getting there early and i end up getting kind of corralled into the line pretending i was supposed to be there and the woman uh is like oh honey uh yeah come and, you know wave me over to the list and i'm like uh dan bassini and she's looking through the list and obviously i'm not on there and she's like, Dan, be up. Oh, I'm sorry. You're not on here. Are you a guest of somebody's? 
And I said, oh, yeah, 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 Jim, Jim Stevens from the Secaucus office was supposed to set this up. And she's like, oh, Jim. I'm like, oh, no, no, he's not on the list. He's out of town. But he said he would set this up for me. And so the woman's like, okay, I'm going to have you step out of the line for a moment. And had him speak to another girl with a different list. And so then she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, you're not on the list. Uh, who, who, was the, who was your contact? And I'm like, oh, yeah, Jim Stevens. He's a producer at the Secaucus office. He knows I like this kind of stuff. He said it'd be no problem. But, you know, that was two weeks ago. He, he, he may have, you know, the email might have gotten buried or he might have forgotten the place to call. So the woman, I mean, you know, and just very patient, very polite. And then the woman texts, like, her supervisor, like, if Dan Bassini's here, can he come into the party? And then another girl who was working the door was just like, oh, Jim Stevens? Yeah, he's fine. Let him in. And they let me into this party. Oh, yeah, I couldn't believe it worked. But, <laughs> you know, I, I, I have no problem talking to people. I'm very friendly and very polite. Yeah. And I also like, kind of know what to ask for. Like, I know industry terms enough to mm-hmm. sound like I know what I'm talking about. And, you know, I'm like, oh, thank you, everyone. Have a great night. Go in, schmooze the coat check guy. And, you know, I, I go up to the party and it ends up being like a pretty insider party. Like there was maybe 100 people there. Beautiful space. It was um, the show is hosted by Tan France and Alexa Chung, two UK natives. And uh, Alexa Chung was someone I'd never gotten a chance to photograph along with Tan France. And there was like a bunch of other kind of you know long-term industry people there. All the contestants from the show were there, a bunch of models, the, you know, modeling the designer who won's clothes. And I ended up just kind of making friends with everybody. Like I made friends with the people who threw the party and that's like the ultimate move. It's like, oh, you sneak in and then make friends with the people who could potentially throw you out, you know? Yep. And, you know, it ended up being, like, uh, like this amazing moment. There was the you know, open bar. They had all these crazy food snacks and, like, Korean desserts. They, uh, you know, they had a DJ. So, like, not only did I get a chance to photograph Alexa Chung, like, we all danced to Robin together, you know, <laughs> by the end of the night. Like, it was an amazing moment. And here I am. I'm wearing, like, a $15 Amazon brand sweatshirt, you know, <laughs> in the middle of this, like, high fashion party. And that's kind of the whole spirit of the no invite stuff. It's, it's, I didn't know how to get involved. So I kind of just found out where stuff was happening and talked my way in. And that's amazing. Yeah. And, and that's something too. It's like, I'm not, I don't want to, I'm not malicious about it. Like, I don't want to break in anywhere. I'm not climbing fire escapes or, you know, uh, things like that. It's more or less like what I can get into via confidence and my camera. And sometimes not my camera. What's nice about it being so small is I can just put it in my pocket and I'm a civilian, you know? Yeah. It's not very intrusive. It's not what people expect. And it kind of allows me to kind of run that fine line between, like, photographer and civilian. Yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, and, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's fun to see how I can talk my way into things. It's like a challenge. Yeah. I mean, and it sounds like um, the, the the approach and the methodology that you're using, it's not like it's not something that other people couldn't try. If people want to have, you know, it, it's like, oh, this is a good way of going back. Be nice, <laughs> go out, yeah. oh, be it, nice, it be friendly, being nice, and... being polite. Uh, it's a lot better than trying to be like, oh, I need to be in here. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm some big shot. Uh, people respond a lot more to being friendly and polite and i mean that goes for the industry in general i've i've worked for other photographers who are just 
you know, super, you know, I'm, I'm a big shot. I, I get what I need. And it, it comes down to people would rather work with people that they enjoy being around than yeah. someone who acts like some kind of, you know, condescending big shot, you know? Yeah. Do you, I mean, looking back over the last few years of doing this, are there any, are there any particular photos that you've got or any moments that just stand out as like, ah, I, I, you look at and go, I can't, I can't believe that happened or I can't believe I got this shot. Are there any that particularly stand out for you? Um, I mean, so that party recently was definitely a big, a big moment of that for sure. Uh, some early stuff that kind of defined a bit, a, a bit of what I was doing. So volume two, I remember just kind of stumbling upon someone I had known in the street and they're like, Oh, you go into the helmet Lang show. And it would happen to be like in Soho at some like abandoned, like old market. And it was, uh, do you, are you familiar with the model? Um, slick woods. She's very like popular now. Uh, she, she did a lot of stuff with like Rihanna's Fenty brand. Um, but she was kind of just getting big around that time. And I remember she got mobbed coming out of the show and she had like a bunch of big kind of bouncers blocking everybody. And, and then she went down towards the end of the block to, uh, to like wait for her car. And I was like, you know, I didn't really know who she was at the time either. So like, again, that's a barrier of like, that doesn't exist because I'm so kind of oblivious that it's like, yeah. people tell me later, Oh, you got a photo of so-and-so. And it's like, Oh, I guess so. That's cool. Uh, it's more or less like what they're wearing or who they're, how they're acting like catches my attention. So it's a nice little, uh, my ignorance comes in handy there a bit, but she looked really cool. She had this cool outfit on and she was kind of just hanging off to the side. I'm like, I, I walk over there politely and I'm like, Hey, I know you just got mobbed. But like, do you mind if I grab just one photo? And she's like, yeah, but just one. And I'm like, that's all I need. Perfect. And I got the shot. It looked great. And then she noticed I had my camera and she goes, Oh, you got the 35 millimeter. That's how I know you ain't a bitch. <laughs> and I'm like, thank you. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So that was super funny. Another great example of that too was um, in the summer, there's the CFDA Awards, which is like the Council for Fashion Designers of America. Uh, they have their award show at the Brooklyn Museum. And when I, I was like, I got there after uh, late one night, because getting entrances is a lot harder than getting exits. When people come out of the shows or the parties, it's always easier because security is less focused on you. They're focused on getting people out the door mm -hmm. and security had just booted all the black cars waiting out outside because they were like parked on the side of a highway, essentially. So I'm like, this is perfect. Everyone's going to come out of this party and everyone's going to be stuck on the sidewalk waiting for their cars. And that's exactly what happened. And so like 300 people pour out and it's all of these big models, all these designers, and they're all just kind of like probably a little drunk and, chatting with each other on the sidewalk and it was me my other friend is a photographer and like one other person that was it for photographers so we kind of had run of the you know run of the the show for whatever we wanted and Heidi Klum comes out and I'm like oh I haven't I haven't had a chance to photograph her so I grab a quick couple shots of her and then I notice she's like 20 minutes later still standing on the curb waiting for her car so I like politely go back up I'm like hey Heidi, do you mind if I grab just like one more shot? She's like, yeah, yeah, of course. Took the photo and she goes, oh, I haven't seen one of those cameras in a long time. Uh, you know, oh, I miss those days of like going back to the, getting your photos back from the lab and like reliving those moments. I'm like, yeah, yeah. It's like, 
uh, delayed gratification. And she's like, yes, the world needs more delayed gratification. <laughs> so that was super funny. And it was just like, you know, you get a slightly different, uh, you know, a slightly different reaction from people because you're not quite as intrusive as, let's say, like a paparazzi or someone with like a long lens being yeah. stuck in their face. It's a little more casual. It's a little less intimidating. And I feel like it gets a lot of a lot of different reactions from people. But also on top of that is, uh, you know, a lot of models and stuff now are carrying film cameras also. So they, they recognize it. And sometimes it's a nice way to kind of kind of chat with people. Yeah, no, that's I mean, it's great, isn't it? It's the thing we kind of keep saying, oh, you know, if you're out and about doing street photography or whatever, and you've got a film camera, um, it gives you one up on people who don't because people are just inherently more interested if you've got something old and weird looking. It's like, oh, why? why? And the, the fact that that's still the case with these people who must have seen a million <laughs> cameras shoved in their faces. Yeah, uh, that's really interesting to hear. Um. How, because your no invite work has quite a gravity to it. You clearly, between the shooting and then all the editing and then producing these um, scenes, it's taking a lot of your time and energy. Has it affected how you're approaching your your other work, whether it's professional work or your other um, personal work? Has it, you know, has no invite affected those things? I mean, not affected in any negative way, obviously. It's not taking away from mm. that kind of work. You know, the paid work uh, comes first in most cases, uh, just out of necessity. But I think it's, it's played a big part in my shooting style or, you know, a style that I'm known for in general. I mean, the goal would be to get hired for gigs to shoot in this style, but in, you know, other paid kind of settings. And I've gotten some gigs out of it. You know, I've gotten some people who, who've recognized it and then hired me to do promo photos for them for, you know, particular things in the style of, you know, film photos. I've even gotten a couple event photography gigs of they wanted it shot on film with that kind of, you know, flashy, contrasty look. So, you know, that'd be the goal. I mean, I would obviously love for, you know, a fashion magazine or someone to hire me to do stuff similar in, in the look that I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's a slow course for sure, but it's, it's been steadily ramping up and getting more attention and getting noticed and at least being recognized a bit more, you know, yeah. the more I do it. But it just, again, it feels nice to put something out in the world. Like I don't do pre-orders for the books. I just front the money print them and then sell them from there just cause I want it to exist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and on your website, you've got other projects. I think you've already mentioned one of them. The um, your uh, hang on, let me go get the name right. Your um, highway hypnosis, which I'm guessing is the series of images you took. Uh, that was the road trip. Yeah. yeah, on the road trip, which is great. And you got a few other things on there. Um, I mean, are you still? Do you have other ongoing or one-off personal projects that you're doing as well still, or um, do you not have the time to do that as much as well as your paid work? And the no invite so, stuff as well. Yeah, so that was something that I did when I first moved up this way. And I wasn't, I was kind of between doing books. The Highway of Hypnosis one I put up there recently because I was thinking about reprinting the book. And then kind of, you know, uh, thought against it. Maybe one day I'll reprint it. But I wanted it, uh, you know, just kind of out there in the world. Because I'm, I'm really happy with the series. But um, I was doing, instead of printing books, I was just doing little kind of 20 image collections of like a, a short kind of story like 
One of them was like right after Trump got elected. There's a lot of, uh, you know, photos of protests and things like that. There was, uh, you know, a trip I took to New England. Um, so it's just kind of a quick little, little stories, you know, without yeah. putting out like a full book. But it felt good. It feels good to shoot to a specific kind of, uh, you know. A brief. Yeah, just a little brief experience, you know. So that that's kind of, I haven't done one of those in a while because the no invite stuff has kind of been scratching that itch. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm super desperate for a vacation anyway. <laughs> so I'm sure the next vacation I take, I might, you know, do another little series here or there. Yeah. Um, I mean, looking forwards, uh, it sounds very much like you got no intention of stopping no invites. Uh, and there's no, I would imagine that's the great thing about shooting the fashion world, an industry which is constantly reinventing itself and changing, that it's it's never going to get stale, is it? Um. Yeah, I'm not too sure. I mean, New York Fashion Week itself is kind of, feels like it's in a bit of a rut. Oh, really? Like, this season, it, it felt a little, not stale isn't the word, but, like, the energy of it from the corporate level in terms of a lot of big designers that are New York mainstays in terms of, like, they show in New York primarily either didn't show a collection this season at all or moved their shows to Europe. So, it, yeah. yeah, it was it was very odd. Um but, I mean, that hopefully will leave the space open for maybe other designers to kind of swoop in and, you know, move their, you know, shows to America for a change. Yeah. So, you know, it, it there's it's kind of open-ended at the moment. I'm curious to see how it evolves. But, I mean, my I would love to start, you know, putting a pitch together to maybe pitch to publishers about doing a collection mm-hmm. of, you know, maybe some of the work I've shot so far for No Invite. But I mean, yeah, it's, it's, I feel like I've already done five. I'm now on the seven. I, I guess I kind of have to go to 10 at this point at the least, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, mind <laughs> you, you do know from past experience that when you get to 10, you then won't be able to stop. You'll be locked <sighs> I in. I know. I know. You... I mean, it would be great to, to land a publishing deal where that kind of effort goes towards a bigger, a bigger project, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Do you, given the limitations uh, that, no invite placed on you in terms of well, you're, you're shooting this very specific thing with this very specific kit. Um, do you ever feel like ah, I want to do something completely different? I just need a break from this. I want to pick up a, an SLR or a medium format camera <laughs> and go and do something completely different. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's always possible. Like I said, the the fashion stuff is something I kind of fell into and then just later found out I you know enjoyed doing a lot and it's a, it's a very cool series and fun series to do. You know, obviously, if that stops being fun, uh, you know, I would probably move on to something else. Or if something else fell into my lap that was more fun than shooting this or, you know, for some reason conflicted with the no invite stuff in a way that was unavoidable and and it was a better opportunity or, you know, more fun or fulfilling, you know, that would take precedent. But, you know, at, at this point, like I said, no invite really doesn't cost me anything but time and money. So, <laughs> but, you know, with that comes, you know, enjoying what comes out of it. But, you know, eh, who knows what will happen? Yeah. I really can't say. Uh, I mean, and I, I do feel like looking at the pictures, it it does feel 
it feels like there is enjoyment. It feels like because it's clearly you know your energy being brought to it as well is a large part of the energy in the pictures. And um, I imagine that going out and doing this must be pretty exhausting um, because you seem to be constantly on the go and constantly alert to what's around you and making the most of the opportunities. Um, I certainly hope you keep doing this because I think it's a fantastic set. And 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 I hope, as you said, I hope that. Um, you that people pay attention and you get the opportunity to do this for you know getting paid to do it as well um <laughs> oh, thank be, you because that seems like it would be a smart thing for um pu publishers to take note of um i mean for anybody because i know that there are um people who might be listening who look at your work and go oh, well i'd i'd love to take pictures like that i mean have you got any good tips any any sort of nuggets of advice for people who might want to have a go at doing something like this or try and take these kind of pictures that they could that they could use from your experience mm -hmm. um i mean it it kind of comes down to just being there that's the best advice <laughs> what's the old ouija quote f8 and be there mm -hmm. it, it just comes down to you know putting the research finding out where stuff is happening and then being present yeah you know and not i guess not being afraid to ask somebody for their portrait yeah. but that applies to anything not just fashion week you know find someone interesting on the street you know just ask them the the worst they're gonna say is no yeah that's very true that's very true and do you do much just general um street portraiture uh, you know is that a thing that you i suppose you get you get that side of your enjoyment filled up pretty well as it is don't you um yeah i mean it's something i've done it happens less so much outside of the fashion week bubble but, uh, you know, I mean, I have friends who shoot street style in Soho year-round, you know? There's always model castings and things like that. Uh, I don't hang out down that way too much uh, for that, but it's not, you know, I've, I've passed people in the street and, you know, taken their photo. Yeah, yeah. So you said that uh, you are currently working on or just kind of wrapping up Volume 7. How, about, how far through the process are you? Um, I'm kind of just in the middle of it at the moment. I'm, I've, I've made my selects, and then I'm going to start putting together the actual sequencing. Yeah. So how many, when you say you select, so how many photographs are you using in the book, and what have you culled that down from? Um, so the books are generally 60 pages. Uh, that equals out to be about 50 to 55 images. Uh, I took this season 417 photos. Yeah. And called that down to around 90 or so. And that's pretty average for, for each season. Gotcha. So, okay. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then that, that gets called down even further. It comes down to what works with the sequencing. I try to match gesture or backgrounds or colors to determine what goes into the spreads and things mm -hmm. like that. Yeah, I love. It's really nice sort of seeing. I think you've got a picture on your website of all of the, the, um, uh, volume so far also mm -hmm. next to each other and you know and, you, and they all have such great cover photos um you really pick great shots to go on the front which uh i think really they speak for themselves as i said just that i think they're fantastic i really love those shots and it's great to see them all together um it must be quite a nice thing for you just to be able to look at that and go yeah what a great what a great <laughs> yeah. collection of work um are all of the previous volumes still available for people to purchase from your website Yes, they are currently all available. I think I may have one copy left of Volume 2. <laughs> so 
Uh, if if you're looking to fill the collection, that one is a bit limited at the moment. <laughs> a bit uh, limited, like, yes, too, is, yeah. is quite... <laughs> so I think there's one copy left of that. Uh, everything else I do have, you know, uh, it's they're not super limited yet, but I think I've, like, you know, of the early editions, maybe 20 left or so. Mm-hmm. So numbers are getting down there. Well, as we mentioned earlier, head to danbassini.com and you will find um, Dan's. You've got your store there, haven't you? And obviously on all the pictures and stuff like that, uh, it's well worth checking out. Um, Dan's work is fantastic. You've got some, yeah, you just got lovely other shots in there as well. You've got your wedding work and all sorts of stuff on there. Mm-hmm. It's well worth a look. Um, do it all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As you said earlier, you can't these days, everyone who really wants to make a living has to be kind of a generalist because if you unless you're lucky enough to get into a niche where you pick up some amazing clients or get an incredible reputation or something like that really early on it's it's just not possible to make that work and yeah i know talking to rachel that's certainly what she finds she's trying to keep so many plates spinning all at once because that's just what you have to do to to make a living in photography it's uh not easy in the year 2020 um, or indeed, I think for the last 15, 20 years, I don't think it's been easy, has it? <laughs> exactly. Um, so we should probably start wrapping this up. Um, I know you, as well as doing uh, the um, photography stuff, you have also got a podcast. You were mentioning earlier about using your skills for from your uh, <laughs> yeah. radio broadcasting my ra- degree. My radio degree. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us a bit uh, about that, because I think it might be yeah. of interest to some people. Yeah, I mean it's it's not photography focused specifically. It's it's me and, and my best friend Erica. We basically she worked more in the corporate creative side of things, uh, a lot of business to business like e-commerce stuff, and then I work in the freelance creative world. So it kind of creates this interesting duality of of outlooks of of different things. She's as well kind of in the influencer world, mixed with she's a writer and she makes music and. She's kind of got her hand in a lot of different things. So it's it's more or less just our conversations. We're both quite cynical. Uh, <laughs> she recently moved to New York. So there's a lot of New York-centric stories of just dealing with crazy people on the subway or, you know, uh, general things that bother us. <laughs> a lot of complaining goes on. <laughs> uh, but it's more, it's very conversational. It's very, you know, we tell some stories here and there. Uh, it's relatively new. Probably by the time this comes out, we may have episode ten out. Mm-hmm. So um, just starting out, but yeah, it's been it's been a fun new outlet. It's been something different than you know my general creative outlets. That sounds cool. So what's it called? Did we cover that? Uh, so it's called Have a Nice Life. Have a nice and life. <laughs> have a nice life, and you can find it on uh, pretty much wherever you listen to podcasts: Apple, Stitcher, Spotify. That's a great title. So so double edged <laughs> in yeah, a way exactly. that is perfectly New York. Ways. Yeah, have a nice life. Um, wonderful stuff. Um, and other than your website, I'm guessing that is Instagram the main place you'd like to point people. Where where are your socials at? Um, so everything is pretty much under my name, Dan Bassini. Uh, that's my Instagram, my Twitter. Uh, I mean Facebook for whoever still uses that. I guess. But yeah, Instagram is probably where I'm most active. Yeah, no, that's cool. And as you said, it's great because especially, you know, the no invite stuff, which makes up, that's pretty much all of your Instagram content these days, isn't mm-hmm. it? Um, it's a really uh, Yeah, great... it's kind of focused on that. Oh, also, I, I don't know if there's any users out there who use Ello at all. Uh, but uh, 
what is Ello? Don't tell me this is some new social networking thing. Oh that no, I it's actually look. it's actually kind of old. If you, it's, there's no time to go into it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, Ello is just also my name, Dan Bassini. Okay, cool. Well, if anybody out there is using Ello, which I have never heard of before, <laughs> it's, I think it sounds from what Dan's saying. It sounds like a precursor to MySpace. Might just be an American MySpace. thing. Who knows? <laughs> MySpace, you on MySpace? I I used to be on MySpace. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. Hit Dan up everywhere. Um, Dan, thank you so much for giving up your afternoon to have this chat. Um, it's thank very you. much appreciated. And it's um, really cool to hear about a side of photography that we've just not had a chance to talk to anybody about before. The fashion side is, um, uh, I mean, it's just completely unknown to me, uh, as anybody who's ever seen me will, will verify. <laughs> um, but uh, it's great. And like I said, I think your work your work really is fantastic. Uh, and, thank you. Um, and, it's, and also, you know, we've been talking about zines a lot this year seeing what you've done with it uh and and you've sort of now built this following of people who are obviously just really enjoying your work um it's a great way of showing how to make use of that medium to build a good solid body of work over a period of years it's it's fantastic so um yeah thank you so much for joining us oh thank you so much for having me and i have to i have to give a shout out to uh my friend chris mina who actually introduced me to you guys and also was the one who turned me on to the Sunnies in general. So uh, Chris Mina. Chris Mina is on the... I'm, we're going to have Chris on here very soon. That's an early cool. warning to Chris because Chris uh, is an absolute delight and it's a crime oh, that we haven't fantastic. had him on. So, um, uh, yeah, I, I cannot wait to talk to Chris. Yeah, Very cool. Um, awesome. Well, we should get out of here. The only thing I'm going to remind our listeners about is if anybody is coming to the photography show um, and they're coming on the Saturday and would like to come to the live podcast, please don't forget to go to the events page on the photography show website and get your free tickets. Um, like I said it doesn't cost anything to come. Obviously, we're not going to charge for this, um, but you do need to have a ticket to be able to get back in because it is happening once the show floor has closed. Uh, this is a very it's like the kind of party that Dan was talking about that he just got into this is going to be a very exclusive party um, and uh, you know you will need your invite otherwise you won't be allowed in um, we are well, we're slowly getting organised with what, what we're doing <laughs> that's broadly speaking a lie but it's going to be very f- fun and exciting probably and we hope we will see lots and lots of you there because um, as I said last week apparently this stage has 140 seats <laughs> <laughs> so, at the very least we won't be able to clear them out of the way and play tennis or something so that'll be fun um, we will play you out as always with uh, Rachel's band Rocha um, and her wonderful song from the album Promises I Should Have Kept uh, you can get in touch with us on this is without order sorry I don't do this very often um, you can get in touch with us at sunny16podcast at gmail.com and you can go to our website I know Matthew said today he's catching up on stuff on there so go to our website sunny16podcast.com um, and obviously find us on Instagram and Twitter and everywhere else where sunny16podcast.com everywhere uh, and one day like dan we'll have a zine too <laughs> one day <laughs> but it, it'll probably be in 10 years before we get to one as opposed to the 10 years that dan's got to doing all his stuff um we'll be back on sunday with another backing paper until then listeners thank you very much for listening and goodbye bye later guys <laughs> mm.